The title of today's message is Punched in the Faith. Um, we're going to talk about being punched in the faith today. Um, so here's how this started. Yeah, y'all like, <laughs> yeah, I said it. Uh, go ahead and say it with me. Everybody say it with me. Punched in the faith. <laughs> kind of like how that sounds, actually. Um, here's what I was thinking. I was actually thinking about a lot of different things, but uh, one of the things over the fast, past few days, um, you can turn to Psalm chapter 78. While, while, we're, while we're getting ready for this, I was thinking about a professional boxer by the name of Joe Lewis, one of the most famous heavyweight, arguably one of the best heavyweights in the history of, of boxing. Uh, he lives, born in 1914, died in, I think, 1981, something like that. He had the longest span of time where he was a champion. It was almost 12 years. It was something like 140 months in a row. Longest span of time, most title defenses, most knockouts, all those things that, that were just very impressive. And he said something that's when you search it out on the Internet, you actually, most people attribute this comment to Mike Tyson, who's a much more recent boxer. But what Joe Lewis said was this. He said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Everybody, you, everybody's got a plan for what they're going to do with their life. No, I got it, man. No, I know exactly what I'm going to do. And then you actually get out there in a battle and you get punched in the face and you realize that your plan wasn't nearly as good as what you thought it was. You realize how faulty your plan was in everything that's going on. Uh, if you're like me and you went to college, you're like, man, I know everything there is to know about everything. And then you get out in the real world and you're like, nobody taught me half of that. You realize now your education begins, right? So we get saved, we come into a church like this that is strong in the Word, that's strong in teaching, and it's like, man, I know some things. Yeah, Amen. But what happens when you get punched, not only in the face, hopefully that doesn't happen to many of us on an ongoing process, but I know what happens to all of us is that we get punched in our faith quite often. When the lions were there and they were praying for a child for years and there's difficulty that comes, you know what happens? They were accounting to you. They were giving you an account of something where their faith was tested in a significant way. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 78 and let's start in verse 9. Say there when you're there. The men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by His law. They forgot what He had done. Everybody say forgot. forgot. You would think that as human beings we would never forget something that the Lord had done in our midst. Wouldn't you think that? I mean, the God of all creation moves and He heals you miraculously. Has anybody ever been healed by the touch of the Lord? Goodness gracious. We, we have babies in the back of the room that are, that are miracles. We have babies that will be here soon enough that are miracles. We have promises that God has given us. But you know what we do? When the Bible says that we're like sheep, that is an accurate portrayal of us. We get focused on our own little patch of grass just right in front of us, and we can wander off and we forget things very, very quickly. When was the last time that God spoke to you a significant word? Has He spoken to you um, within the last two months? Anybody the Lord spoken to you about direction for your life? A word that was given to you? No, that's a lot of hands. For real? Okay, how about the last month? 
directional, big things that God has given you. Okay? So the Lord is speaking to us. Do you wake up every morning and think about what He said? We should. Because the men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, they had what they needed. They had what they needed and they turned back on the day of battle. There's something about me as a man that the idea of turning back on the day of battle is a very scary thought to me. Now, when I'm a young man, when I'm in my 20s, I think I'm 12 feet tall and bulletproof. I think I got all the answers and I think I can do anything. In in my 30s, I realized that I... Uh, I wasn't even sure if I had the right questions, much less the right answers to life. Now that I'm in my 40s, I'm going, yeah, Lord, I am becoming more and more dependent upon you. I would thought that I would have done the other way and becoming more and more capable. Hopefully that is also true. But my understanding of what I don't know is also increasing at an exponential rate. And going, Lord, you want, you want Pastor Matt and Pastor Eric and I to shepherd these people? That becomes a very complex thing. I don't have to just worry about me. I have to worry about you. I have to worry about my family. There are things that, are, that go on that realize, okay, Lord, I don't want to forget what you've done. Verse 11, they forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. He did miracles in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the region of Zone. He divided the sea. Everybody say divided the sea. That's a pretty big deal. It's such a big deal that people in our day and time really don't even think that happened. He divided the sea. Well... It was probably like a little marshy marsh. And they just kind of walked through and were a little muddy. No. He split the sea so, we could, so they could walk right through it. He made the water stand firm like a wall. He guided them with the cloud by day and with the light from the fire all night. He split the rocks in the desert. Listen to this. And gave them water as abundant as the seas. You ever think about that when it's talking about those two examples in the, through the law they give where they were thirsty out in the desert? First time Moses struck the rock and water flowed out? Enough that it's called like the seas. If there were about three million people who needed water plus their animals, it's not just a fountain coming out of a rock. It had to have filled an entire valley full of water. When God does something in your life, He really does it well. He really goes all the way and makes sure that His Word is fulfilled in your life. And you know what we still do? We still forget Him. I don't even understand how that's possible, but I can only tell you what happens in my life. It's possible for me to forget Him. And that is a scary thing. In Deuteronomy 8, it talks about this very, very plainly. Look, when you get in the land that I promised you, when, when you're around the places with, that are flowing with milk and honey... When you, when you got everything settled just right the way it needs to be, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. A reoccurring theme throughout Scripture. Let's turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel 13, and we're going to look at verse 19. The men of Ephraim actually were armed, but look at this. 1 Samuel 13, 19. Tell me there when you're there. says this, not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel. Interesting place to start, huh? Because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plowshares, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. 
The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plowshares and mattocks, and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes, and for repointing goats. So on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. <laughs> we see a bit of a problem when you're in a battle, right? This is right before that Jonathan uh, goes out with his armor bearer and says, maybe the Lord will give us this garrison here. If, if they beckon us to come, we'll know it's the Lord. Let's go get them. There are people here who are completely without weaponry. And back in Psalm 78, let me show you this word. When it says that in the day of battle, the men turned back, this is the word. I think I have a slide or a picture of this, Joy. The word is hapak. And here, here is what, here's what this word is made of. Let me just show you this. This is the word for turn back. Okay? Singular word in Hebrew, translated two words into English. Uh, in the Paleo Hebrew, you get a hey. Hey. Sorry, that sounded better in my head than before when I came out. A pay. And then a cough. What we have here is we have to tame, to bend, to open. It's an open hand is what the picture is supposed to be. This is the mouth. It's supposed to blow or scatter. This is one of the meanings of it is revelation. What it means for us to turn back is that it's that our revelation of who God is is scattered or it's tamed in us. We have something that God has given us, but what happens is it gets scattered. We, we forget it. It becomes not the central part of who we are. It becomes not something that we stay to. It becomes something that's just one of the things that we have going on in our lives. Let's look at Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7. Let's take a look at verse 1. Here's the problem with men that turn back in the day of battle. There's a couple of different ways that you can turn back. And we're going to see some of these here in Judges chapter 7. Verse 1. You there with me? It says, Early in the morning, Jerub Baal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moriah. The, uh, the Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men... For me to deliver Midian into their hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people. Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. Now, this is a great war plan, right? He's collected people. At the end of chapter 6, we see that Gideon went through the land and blew a trumpet. He blew a shofar, got people and sent out other um, representatives of his, and they started collecting as many people as who would answer the call. These guys who are about to leave, we know the story quite well, these people who are leaving answered a call. This is not just random people standing around going, hey guys, if you're scared, we're about to go into battle, you can get ahead on home now. There were people who heard the war call and said, yeah, that sounds like fun, I'll go do that. I'm, I'm going to jump in there with this. 
Look at the word here. Uh, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back. This word is actually a different word. This word for turn back here is Hebrew 7725. And it's the word shub. Spelled this way. We have a little trouble there? Great, I'll just do it here. The paleo is a, a shin, a vav, and a bet. I'm just going to pick the word that most represents this. Press, attach, and house. They turn back in a way that show that they were pressing to attach themselves to their own house. When the Lord has something for us to do, but what we want to do is run back. <laughs> I mean, maybe you've never felt like this. Has anybody ever just binged on Netflix for a day? You're just like, I'm tired, and so you just snuggle up, and what do you do? You throw on a, you throw on a, a TV show, right? You throw on something because you just, there's something about going home, right? There's something about going home, yes, but when you press this and you attach yourself to your own house instead of the call that the Lord has given you, even your house can be something that causes you to turn away. Isn't this interesting? You get, two, you get one word for turn back. You get a different way here, but it's, cause, it's showing us different things about here. What is one of the problems that we have? One of the problems that we have and causes us to turn back is fear. If any of you are shaking with fear, you can just go on back home. Which, by the way, is a crazy way to run an army. That's a crazy way to do this. If you're scared, go home. We got it. We don't need you. Do you know why that would be the case? You know the last place that you want to find out someone is a chicken? Is when you're in a battle. The last place that I want to find out that you, you don't really have my back is when I actually need you to have my back. Let's just go ahead and call this early. If you're not going to be with me, go ahead and go. This is really what... This is showing, and, and, and the Lord says it's also so that Israel doesn't think that they won by their own strength. But we have fear. Let me, let me just get right down to it. We have fear, and we want to be comforted in it. We want to have comfort. This is what our society says. As a matter of fact, not only do we want comfort, but we're going to demand comfort. We're going to make theology, we're going to make uh, uh, ideologies up in Christianity to make sure that we all stay comfortable. We want to make sure that you don't actually have to go through any tribulation whatsoever. If you're going through difficulty, that can't be God. If you've got an, if you've got an election that just happened and you don't like what happened, that can't... Hey, look, folks. If you're afraid, sometimes it comes out and it doesn't seem to you as fear. It just seems to you as you pressing in to try to find comfort. But what we're trying to do today is we're trying to get in here and get punched in our faith a little bit and decide that fear is what it is. If you're living in fear, it is the opposite of being in faith. You can't be living in faith and be overcome by fear. The Bible says in 1 John that perfect love casts out all fear. Once you're really walking in this path, you don't have room for fear there. It's not that you ignore what reality is. It's that you choose to believe that your home is not here. You choose to believe that your citizenship is not here. It is somewhere else, and that's what we go to. Back to, back to Judges chapter 7. 
You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands in order that Israel may not boast against me and with about her own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 men remained. So 32,000 total, two-thirds of them hit the road. Two out of every three people. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Of course there are. So here's the problem, is we all know this story, right? You know exactly where it's going to go. You know exactly how it's going to turn out. Put yourself in Gideon's shoes here for a second. You've got 32,000 people going up against about 150,000 enemy. You're already outnumbered one to five. Two-thirds of your people hit the road. Hey, if any of you is a little timid, intimidated, scared, just go home. Still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them there for you. That word sift is to try or to test or to purify. I will sift what's left. You know what the Lord does in our midst? is He's constantly sifting us. What, is, what does Jesus say to Peter? Is that Satan has desired to sift you. There's a, there's, there's a process that happens in sifting that we have to watch. We're in our lives and we're like, Lord, why is this? Why am I getting agitated? Why aren't things seemingly upside down and rolling around in my life? It may be because the Lord is trying to sift what's really in your heart. He's trying to let you see what's in your heart because you may have areas of fear and you think, ah, this is just logical. We've talked about it before. I will say it again. Fear tries to make itself sound very logical inside your head. It only makes sense that I should do this. No, you're crazy. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. Once you start speaking, have you ever said you've been thinking something for so long and then you say it out loud and you feel dumb about saying it? You're like, hey, why did you do that? Because it was cool. But you've been thinking that the whole time and been like, yeah, I just beat that, that conversation that you have in your head. You know the one. Ain't nobody talking to you, but you're still winning in the conversation. That one. That's the one. And fear is causing you to be... (laughs) I love Pastor Matt. He says it this way. Sin makes people stupid. (laughs) Actually, that's exactly right. We love you guys. When you're walking in sin, you're stupid. You don't think you sound stupid, but you sound stupid. The Lord is trying to sift us through his word. If I say that this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. And we know the story. God gets it down to 300 men. The original 300 was not Thermopylae. It was here. Right? We have these 300 that go out and do incredible exploits. Um, let's, but you see there, out of 32,000, you have less than 1% that made it actually to the battle day. There were a lot of people there that were turned back before the battle even got started. They were sifted before you even got into it. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel chapter 4. <clears throat> there. 
And we're going to start in verse 1. You can turn back even before the day of battle in the selection process. 1 Samuel chapter 4, let's look at a different type of turning back. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Ephek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. So there was a skirmish. There was an engagement that happened. 4,000 of God's people died. The Philistines won, hands down. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? Let, I got a good idea. Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh. Uh, by the way, this is from the land of Ephraim. Our psalm that we started out with, that the men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned back in the day of battle, there's really a lot of discussion between Bible scholars about what that battle was. There's, there's a few thoughts that roll around there, and the one that I like to think about is this passage right here. Uh, it incorporates a lot of what Psalm 78 talks about, and I, I think personally that this is the passage where it says that the men of Ephraim turned back in the day of battle. Let us bring out the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh, so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. When the ark of the Lord's covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. That's pretty. That's a pretty great shout. Amen. Ever been in a stadium? I spent. I spent my high school. I mean, my college days traveling between stadiums in the SEC. Go band nerds, right? It's fun when you get in a loud stadium. It it is a fun environment when people are screaming and they're going at it. When as drum major, I'd walk out in front of the band, and what I didn't know the very first time that I did that at LSU, I walked out in front of the band. And they have the stadium salute. It's a very um, um, traditional thing that we do at the beginning of a, of a game. And what I didn't know, there are four famous notes that they do. And what they do is they do it to the four corners. So you turn this way and you turn the other way and they turn around. What I didn't know was that I would count it off and the drum line would start playing. So much fun. Right? You're standing there and I'm like, this is so cool. I have my mace in my hand. I'm like, this is boss. And what happens is there's 325 people behind me that were about to play as loud as they could. And all I heard was this. I'm like, oh my God. I can't hear what they're playing at all. The crowd was so loud. I mean, I'm standing on the field and went, I guess I should be keeping the time going in my head because I, I was not expecting, I was not anticipating that at all. The crowd would yell so loud, I literally couldn't hear the 325 people behind me playing. <sighs> I learned after that how to deal with it, but that first instant went, oh my goodness, I'm going to mess up in front of 90,000 people. <laughs> this is crazy. These guys gave up a shout that was so loud that the ground shook. Come on now. That, that, they thought, we have the answer. The ark of the Lord has come forth. 
Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, What's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. They had just beat them in the skirmish before. We carry out the ark of the Lord, scream really loudly, the whole ground shakes. Philistines are like, "Uh uh-oh, we might be in trouble here, people. A God has come into the camp, they said. We're in trouble. Nothing like this has ever happened before. Woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the bad guys. These are the bad guys' comments here, right? The Philistines. They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the desert. By the way, sometimes when we forget what the Lord has done, His works are so mighty that sometimes even other people go, hey, wasn't this the God that got you out of Egypt a while back? Was Didn't he do that to you? I I thought you said that you prayed one time and God healed you. I mean, not that I've ever had anybody say that to me. Things that you have forgotten that even other people can remember because it was so powerful. Verse 9, Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. Bad guys, but I I like the sentiment. So the Philistines fought. And the Israelites were defeated. And every man ran away to his tent. (laughs) Every man in the day of battle turned away. And where did he go? He went back to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. What happened? What happened? These guys fled. They fled here because of why, though? They had the, didn't it seem like they had the right things in place? I mean, what did they do? They ran and got the ark of the Lord. You would think that that would have won the battle, right? The problem is, was that their hearts were far from doing the right thing here. Let's, let's just get into this. Let me, just, let me just bother you a little bit. Let me try to punch you in your face. I just like saying that. But it makes me feel happy. So what is the real problem here? They have the ark of the, of the Lord. They have the ark of His presence, the ark of His testimony. But you know what they did with it? They used it like a talisman. They used it like, um, and I have no problem if you have a cross on. They have a cross on their necklace. They have a, I don't even know, it shows you how old I am, a WWJD bracelet. I have no idea what the normal one would be, right? What would Jesus do? We have the bumper sticker. We have the radio station. Do you know that you can have those things? You can be here in our church and be treating God's presence like as some type of talisman. You could be like Samson and think that all you have to do is just just shake yourself and here comes the power of God. Their hearts were far from Him. They They had placed all their hope not in God's presence, but in something that symbolized God's presence. Why do you think that in Exodus it says, you shall have no other gods before me? You're not supposed to have idols. You know why? Because we as human beings want to make idols. We want to, look, I'm just going to draw, I mean, I'm going to draw the best picture I can 
of God. No, don't have any representation of God. You know why? Because you can't do a good enough job and it will become an idol to you. Even the precious things, even the things that are godly, you can make it as an idol in your life and you have a problem. You're going to be like Samson and it's going to not work in the day that you need it. Let's look, let's, let's look at other times that Israel fled. Israel fled in the day of Goliath. They couldn't even come out and answer the call. The entire nation, stagnant there, afraid. 1 Samuel 31, is all of Israel fled on Mount Galboa? Turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 56. Matthew 26, 56. says this, but this has all taken place that the writings of the prophet may be fulfilled. Then all of the disciples, everybody say all. all. You know what a really great thing about studying the Bible is, is when you see the word all, it means all. Whatever the language, Hebrew, Greek, English, all means all. It really does. It's taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. You know what it's likely? Is that unless the Holy Spirit is empowering us, you're going to flee in the day of battle. This is the problem. We do not naturally want to stand. It may be in the physical realm that we're, we learn how to be aggressive. We learn how to do things. But I can tell you, there is coming a time in each of our lives that unless you have God's Spirit at work in you, you're not going to be able to stand up against it. The disciples, they had spent three years with Jesus. Spent three years with him, walking with him every single day. It wasn't that they weren't around him enough. It's that they didn't have it inside of them to be able to do this. When, I t- when we talk about all we like sheep, Joy, I'm going to try the pictures again. Can we do the... Oh, amen. <clears throat> Got a little sheep in the background, a little lamb in the background. Um. Go ahead and go to the next one. This is looking at it. This is a a little lamb. And these little spots back here, these are burrs. Okay, so you've got two two of them looking. You see the first one there? Look at that second one. Do you see that guy? Completely covered and cased in burrs. I want to tell you that as a shepherd of God's people that sometimes I know that this is what we look like. You are what you are, right? I've not challenged this and and said that you're not a lamb. You're not a sheep. Though sometimes that's not always clear to me. But when I look at people, sometimes I go, you know what? This This is my view of some of us sometimes. I just want you to look at the picture for just a second. Do you feel bad for the sheep? Because you know what happens? Here's what happens. So a shepherd would come and can start to pull off some of these burrs from the sheep. That's what our job is. But you know what causes a problem sometimes? Is right there, there, there's nothing that's hurting that little lamb. He's walking around just fine. 
What happens is when you start to try to get in there, you apply pressure to some of these things and it starts to prick them on the side, in the back, on their ears, on their face. And so what happens is, is as the shepherd is pulling off these things, sometimes the sheep get very, very agitated. <laughs> sometimes they want to fight the shepherd and the shepherd is doing nothing but trying to remove the very things that are causing problems in their life. Because what happens? This guy is going to have a hard time laying down and go to sleep at night. We, we, look, we think of Psalm 23 and, and, and the shepherd's psalm, right? You know, he's, he's trying to lead you. The Lord is trying to lead us by still waters. He's trying to lead us to green pastures so that you can lay down and rest. So that you can enjoy being there with your shepherd. So that you can be close to him. And what happens is, is we have enough birds that are there that it creates some significant problems. Let's turn to Mark chapter 6 since we're here close to it. Mark chapter 6. And verse 3. Mark 6, 3 says this. Isn't this the carpenter? <laughs> Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? What does that next phrase say? And they took offense at him. You know one of the things that will cause you to turn away in the day of battle? One of the things that will cause you to fail in your faith? when the pressure's applied, is when we have offense. When we have offense with our brothers. When we have offense with leadership. When we have offense at God Himself for what He's doing in your life. Because ultimately, sometimes you're not mad at us, you're mad at God. For the way that your life has come about. Even if God is doing nothing but trying to remove the burst from you. Uh, a worship service like we had this morning... <laughs> Beautiful. Incredible. You know what I was thinking? Lord, you're removing burrs from, from, our, from the wool. You're removing burrs from places that we can't even lay down. We have to be awkward and you have to lay down funny because every time we lay down on this whole side, it's pretty much just covered. No, I'm fine. I'm good. No, you're good when you're standing there and there's no pressure applied to you. You're fantastic. It doesn't bother you that you're wearing a coat of burrs. It doesn't bother you at all. You're completely fine because it's not actually, there's no pressure on you in that moment, so everything's fine. But what is happening is, is if we love you as a pastorship, if we love you as a church, we have to go, hey, brother, hey, Steve, you've got some burrs, man. Let me help you get those off. And a godly man says, yes, please. Thank you so much. I count it as a kindness. Ow, that one kind of stung. Ooh, it hurt. Thank you. If we have offense about anything, if we have offense, Justin Treister came forward on Wednesday night and gave a word that he felt that there were people who were walking around with offense. You know what I know? I, I trust that the Lord has spoken to him and that he's completely right. And I love you guys. And I know you. I can call you all by name. And... I presume that there is a fence here. You know why? Because we're sheep. Because you're sheep and you've been walking around and you've been walking through places that didn't even realize they got attached to you. Didn't realize that something like a presidential election can bring out things in your heart that you didn't even know were there. 
We didn't know that our circumstances and our job could cause us and we get these, these prickly things that just start coming upon us. And we didn't even, I'm not even sure how they got there. And I don't care how they got there for you. I'm not sitting here. I don't look at that little lamb with all the burrs on it. And I don't go, what a dumb sheep. Stupid lamb gets all burred up. I just, I just made it a verb. It's all right. <laughs> if I could say punched in the face, I could say he got burred up. It's all right. If you've got offense, then you are standing in opposition to what God is doing in your life. You've got to let the Lord remove the offense from you. Psalm 139. Joy, can you just put this up there? It's 22, 23, something like that. Mm, 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Next verse. See if there's any offensive way in me. Would y'all look at this scripture for me for just a second? See if there be any offensive way. Now that not only says that I have done something to offend the Lord, but would you allow this for, for this time period to say, Lord, see if there be any offended way in me. Offensive means I've done something to you. Offended means I've perceived that something has been done against me. I will tell you that as a believer, let's go, let's go with the big boy version of this. You're not allowed to be offended. You have no right to be offended. I don't just mean it, me. I'm saying as a believer, you have no right to walk around with offense in your life. You know why? <laughs> because you've already died in Christ. So what if they're trying to hurt you? So what if your life is difficult? So what if things are hard? So what? You're not allowed to be offended. Because what you do is you build a wall between you and God. What is worth that in your life? Oh, but pastor, you don't understand the difficulties. You don't understand the disappointments. I don't have to. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When I'm offended, I'm no longer able to be led by His Spirit. There's what you have to deal with. Keep your offense and have the Holy Spirit not lead you. Or get rid of your offense and have the Holy Spirit be at work in your life. Turn back to Judges for just a moment. Judges chapter 6. Y'all are fast over there in the youth department, man. Judges chapter 6. Let's look at verse 36. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. <laughs> I'll place a wool fleece before you, Lord. I'll lay out the very thing that's supposed to be covering my life for an inspection period. I will allow you to look at this, Lord. And what I need you to do is I need you to show your favor upon this fleece that I've laid out before you. You know what I can assure you was not in, the, not in that wool fleece? Burrs. It, it couldn't have been. Because it gets full enough with water that he wrings out a bowl full of water from this thing. <laughs> See, we want to get full of God's Spirit, but if you've got burrs, God can't come and grab you and move your heart and cause His anointing to come out of you. 
because you're so full of burrs, it's just not going to happen. On the threshing floor. Um, Joy, do we, I think we have a couple of pictures of threshing floors. Wow, okay. Let's just go to the next one. That one's really blurry. Here are pictures of threshing floors. Places where they would have grain and they would start working the grain. Go ahead. <laughs> what they would do is they would take the idea of a threshing floor is it's supposed to separate the wheat from the chaff. It's supposed to separate these things. They would, they would work on it. They would actually have little sleds and sometimes a man would stand behind it and work a, a horse or a mule or an ox and they would, it, would, it would start pressing, it would start threshing the wheat on the floor. And then at last, go back one, Joy. These are modern day folks. What they would do is then they could take it with a, with a winnowing fork and they could throw it up in the air and what would happen is the shaft would drive, would fly away in the wind and the wheat would be what was left. It was separating it. Keep going with another few pictures. There's a, again, these are modern day even though they're, they're black and white. So you get an idea of what's going on here. So Gideon lays it out here on a threshing floor and he's laying a wool fleece before the Lord. Turn to Hosea chapter 7. Hosea chapter 7. And verse 8. So we have a fence that comes in that makes us want to turn back during the day of battle. Hosea chapter 7 and verse 8 says this. Ephraim mixes with the nations. (laughs) Ephraim is a flat cake not turned over. A flat cake not fully baked. Foreigners sap his strength, but he does not realize it. His hair is sprinkled with gray, but he does not notice. Israel arrogance testifies against him, but despite all this, he does not return to the Lord his God or search for him. Ephraim is like a dove, easily deceived and senseless. One of the fewer examples of a dove being in a a negative connotation here. Now calling to Egypt, now turning to Assyria. What happens here is we get offense. Sometimes we just have a divided heart. Sometimes we get a divided heart. That's what he's saying about Ephraim here. That's what he's saying about the nation of Israel. It's like a dove going to turn to these other things. It mixes with the nations. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 20. I want to, show, I want to bring out a point here. Us having a divided heart is an incredibly difficult thing. It's an incredibly difficult thing for us to notice. Right? We've talked about this before. If you're deceived, guess what you don't know? You don't know that you're deceived. You think you're right in every way and you're walking in deception. With a divided heart, (laughs) um, it's like if you really, really need to wear glasses. What happens if you really need glasses? Your your sight is, is poor and you really need a strong pair of glasses, and then you lost your glasses. The problem is, is you need your glasses to be able to find your glasses. <laughs> right? <laughs> or you need someone else to help you find them. I'm not saying that this has happened to anybody recently. I'm just saying. <laughs> the problem with having an, a divided heart The problem with walking in deception is it's hard for you to have the faculties to see 
that you're walking in an undivided heart. This is why we have to run to the Word the way that we do. This is why we need the fellowship of believers to say, hey, brother, I don't think you're doing that right. Hey, I know it sounds right, and I know it may be popular and culturally relevant for us not to say this, but the problem is, is there's something not right with your heart. But the way I, the way I saw you respond to that person, that there's something that's not right. That, that post that you made on social media the other day, I know it didn't seem like it was terrible. There's something wrong in that. Brother, you may, sister, you may have a, an, a divided heart in here. <laughs> well, let's, that's why we started with this one. If you're offended that I'm saying that you might have offense, let's go ahead and say it. You have offense. <laughs> Check. If you're getting offended that I'm saying that you might, yes, you, yes, you, might have a divided heart in some way. Let's just go ahead and say it. Now you're either walking into, you're probably walking in both of these now. We're just piling it on. Deuteronomy chapter 20. You cannot have a divided heart. Deuteronomy 20 and verse 1 says this. When you go to war against your enemies and you see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them. What is he trying to do? Trying to make sure that you don't turn back even before you get to the battle. Because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. Everybody say, will be with you. When you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. Who comes forward first? You're about to go into a battle. You would think that the general would come forward. No, let's get the priest to come forward. He shall cry, Hear, O Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not be terrified or give way to panic before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. Now, there are four things here that I want to bring up really quickly in these next few verses. There are actual exemptions from getting in the battle. The officer shall say to the army, has anyone built a new house and not dedicated it? Anybody? Anybody built a house? You can go home. Or you may die in battle and someone else may dedicate it. Has anyone planted a vineyard? Any, any vineyard owners, owners? You too. You can go home. You haven't been able to enjoy it yet. Let him go home or he may die in battle and someone else may enjoy it. Has anyone become pledged to a woman? Anybody engaged? Not married? Engaged? You get to go home. Or he may die in battle and someone else may marry her. And then the officer shall add, Is there any man afraid or faint-hearted? <laughs> Crazy, right? You know why they're doing this? They're saying, if you're going to be divided in your heart, we don't need you on the battlefield. <laughs> if anybody just has a new house, if anybody just planted a vineyard and hasn't gotten to enjoy the vineyard, if anybody's about to get married, if anybody's just stinking afraid, go home. This is the kind of guy that we have. Hey, I don't need your strength in this. I don't need you to be strong for me. I'll be strong on your behalf. Now, take a look at Matthew chapter 19. Y'all still with me? Yes. Matthew chapter 19. Starting in verse 18. Jesus replied, Do not murder. Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler, right? Okay? Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. 
honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. We know what the rich young ruler's response was. Hey, I've done all these. Okay, let's go back to verse 18. So Jesus starts with commandment number six. Murder. Adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. He goes back to number five. He goes six, seven, eight, nine, five. So what is Jesus doing? We know this story, right? What he's doing is by what he's not saying, he's telling the man exactly what his heart problem is. This is why he comes back later and says, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And the man went away, right? God revealed what his heart was by going six, seven, eight, nine, five. By what he didn't say. Take a look in verse 28. Same chapter. I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on the glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses... or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother. There's a little note in my Bible for the word that says mother there. And it also says wife. Or fields for my sake. Will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. If Jesus just in the same passage used an example of saying something by what he left out, what is he saying to us here? If you give up your house, if you're willing to give up your family, who are my, who are my mother and my brothers? Mark 3.33, those who do the will of the Lord. If we're willing to not press in to the comforts of home, and we're willing to lay these things down, if we're willing to lay down fields and vineyards for the Lord, <laughs> what is he saying? He's saying, be careful that you don't let fear undo all of this. Turn to Luke chapter 9. It's almost like the Newer Testament was built on the foundation of the Older Testament. Amen. It's almost like Jesus was thinking, because he knew what the rules for that. He's a Jew. He understood exactly what he was saying. Luke chapter 9. Let's look at verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, someone came up to Jesus and said, I will follow you wherever you go. (laughs) Well, all righty then. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He replied to another one, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. It's almost like he's addressing the family issue. By the way, The issue isn't him going back and saying goodbye to his parents or burying his father. Elisha asked for the same thing in 1 Kings 19. Can I go say bye to my family, Elijah? 
course you can. Go ahead and say goodbye to your family. The issue here is Jesus is getting at, he's getting at something else. It's someone with a divided heart that's saying, hey, I really don't have a divided heart. I just want to go, um, I think I left some, uh, something on the stove. I'll be right back. No, you're not. You've got a divided heart. It, you're, it's not worthy. Take a look. The next verse. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And I thought, man, it's another family one. I, I missed the model. God. How does Jesus respond, though? Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow, no one who starts working in a field, no one who's got his vineyard and he's working on this thing and looks back is fit for service. When you have a divided heart that is really giving way to fear, he's saying, unless you're able to give up all of this for me, fear has dominated you and you're not worthy of coming into this thing. Okay. Incredible, right? Deuteronomy 20 through Matthew 19 through Luke 9. Great. Thank you, Pastor. What a great verse. So, so let's look at this. There are many people in here who've literally sold their house to move here. Who've left anything of worth that this, value, that this world has to offer who's willing to prefer God even over their natural family in place of those who do the will of the Lord. How are you doing actually burying fear in your life? Because if you don't get this, you may have done all these things and they may only act as a talisman to you. Lord, I did all these great things. We did all these wonderful things. Didn't you hear us? Aren't you proud of us? Depart from me, I never knew you. We cannot, we cannot sit in a church like this and presume that these things are for other people. You have got to see. I can assure you, you probably have more burrs than you think about. You may have more burrs than you realize. Turn to Psalm chapter 86. We're going to wrap this up. Psalm 86, verse 11. Psalm 86.11 says this, Teach me your way, O Lord. You know what helps in a, to not have a divided heart before the Lord? This idea, teach me your way, it's not something that you intellectually rise to, that, oh, now I know how to do that. In your mind, it's something that impacts your heart. It revolutionizes everything that you think and everything that you do. It becomes your way of life. Teach me your way. Put that yoke upon me, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me a what? An undivided heart that I may not fear your name. I'm sorry, that I may fear your name. <laughs> Fearing the Lord, good thing. Sorry. Go back to the verse so I can read it and get it right. <laughs> Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 11. Ezekiel chapter 11. We're going to look at verse 19. This is what the Lord prophesies over His people. The Lord gives a word here and says this, I will give them an undivided heart. I will put a new spirit within them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. How important is it to have an undivided heart? 
the very promise of God that you will have an undivided heart. Turn to Psalm chapter 73. Psalm 73. <clears throat> Verse 1. Same person who wrote Psalm 78, by the way, which is where we started. Surely, good, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Our problem sometimes is that we are focused on the wrong things. If you go through, by the way, if you've ever read Psalm 73, it is a wonderful psalm to read because if you're not careful, you realize how much this resembles what we do. I'm just going to read a few verses and then move on. My foot had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. Verse 3, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Listen to this. I have thought these thoughts before. Maybe you haven't. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Their pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence, etc., etc., etc. Lord, I'm working hard here. These yokels are doing whatever they want. This guy doesn't work. Somehow he's able to, he's driving around in a five times better car than I have. How is this fair? How is this right, God? How is this supposed to be? Your focus is in the wrong place. Skip down. Verse 15. For if I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. Verse 16. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Everybody say oppressive. Have you ever thought about things enough where it just, you could feel the weight of it sitting upon you? It was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. We're not going to look to the wicked and envy them. We're not going to look to those who've done things poorly. We're not going to have our focus there. What we're going to do is keep our eyes on Him on the way that He prescribes for us. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 22. 2 Samuel 22 and verse 31. As for God, His way is perfect. Everybody say perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in Him. For who is God besides the Lord and who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, sure-footed, steady, not going to slip. He enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. Yeah, man. He, my arms can bend a bow of bronze. It doesn't just say that my arms can hold a bow of bronze. It says that I can bend a bow of bronze. There is a righteous judgment that can come that we can properly use. You, can give, you give me your shield of victory. You stoop down to make me great. You broaden the path beneath my feet so that my ankles do not turn. <laughs> the lions are in Peru. They go up and down mountain passes all the doodah day. <laughs> Sounded good before it came out. <laughs> the idea that the Lord will broaden a path beneath you, 
You don't have to be a mountain climber to understand that that's something that's, tr that's precious. So that your, your ankle won't turn, so that you won't lose your way, so that you won't fall. Because you know what we have to do? <laughs> we have to endure. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, as we wrap this up. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 3. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity and understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in our right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on. If you cannot read this passage and have a, it should have a visceral reaction within you. This is the mandate to live like a Christian. This is it. It's not rainbows and puppy dogs. It's this. It's glory and it's dishonor. It's in purity and in understanding. It's in beating and in imprisonment. Hard work, sleepless nights, hunger. This is what it's like. This helps us to know that we will be punched. We will be challenged. But we cannot, we have to have a pure heart before the Lord. No offenses. No burrs that we allow to stay there. We have to have an undivided heart. We cannot afford a divided heart. You can't afford it. Not even one little bit. As God reveals it to you, you must deal with it. You cannot have your focus on the world. You can't do it. I'm at the wonderful age where I'm going to start needing bifocals. Because I can see you and I can't... My arms are getting too short. We can't have bifocals in the kingdom. I can in the natural, but I can't in the spiritual. There's a singular focus that must go on. Known, verse 9, yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and not yet killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing and yet possessing everything. This is what we fight for. Second Timothy, chapter 2. Second Timothy, chapter 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. You don't allow your heart to be divided. You don't lose your focus. You don't walk around with offense. You know why? Because you're doing what you're told to do. The end. Verse, uh, verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 10. Therefore, I endure everything. Everybody say everything. everything. If you can't say that, if there's a point where your endurance gives out, then that's why we're talking to you today. 
People give out before the battle starts. Cowards. Unqualified. There are people who are in the battle and they get there. And you know what they do? At first, they're like, man, this is exciting. And they realize, you know, I think I would prefer to be in the back of this battle. And it changes when they have to get into physical, hand-to-hand combat. You know, one of the things about Samson that was incredible was he did not look like a big muscled up dude. He was not some Adonis of a man or everybody had been like, dude, he's strong because he's got muscles. He was strong because the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. There's a difference between looking like you're something and being something. (laughs) Come on, let's be real. You can see these specimens of a human being and they would be the ones that would tuck tail and run on the battlefield and some little scrawny country boy you're like come on fight with me you're not going anywhere that's i want to be i want to be around people who just have enough tenacity that it doesn't matter how tired they get they're just going to persevere and if they're if they have to lay down their life for the gospel they will do it they would rather lay down their life for the gospel lay down their life completely before the lord than to fail and turn back in the day of battle The way that you can lay your life down for the Lord one day in the future is that you die to yourself every day. There's no secret to this. One day, I hope that if I were ever challenged by guns in my face, that I would stand up properly. I am preparing for that. I'm planning on, I'm training for that. You know how I'm doing that? I'm dying to myself every single day. I'm going to die to myself, deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Him. If I do that every single day, you know what it does? It allows me the opportunity for when it to really count, I'm not going to run away when you need me. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go away. You know, what's, you know what it allows me to do? is stand with other like-minded and like-hearted people. I'm not going to go away. We're just going to do exactly what the Lord puts before us. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, he will, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, <laughs> he will remain faithful. Amen. What an encouragement. He's not asking you to do this only in your strength because none of us will have enough strength. You only would have enough strength. You only have the strength that you have. Turn to Revelation. Uh, uh, no, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and we'll close here. <clears throat> Start in verse 17. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. There's no middle ground here, folks. When you're walking around with a fence, when you're walking around with a divided heart, with a focus that's on the world, You are walking around. You are living as an enemy of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. One of the things I love about this church is how diverse the church is. I love it. 
And if any of us take our, our natural qualifications and put it above our citizenship as a believer, you've missed out. I'm not an American first. I'm not whatever ethnicity I am first. I'll let you guess. It's okay. I should, should have said that about Pastor Matt. That we're just trying to throw you completely off up here. If I'm male before I'm a Christian, I'm completely wrong. If I'm a Texan before I'm a Christian, I have so discredited the very name of God, it's not even funny. My citizenship is in heaven. And I eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Therefore, brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. That trips on into the next chapter. I think it's complete from the previous chapter. Therefore, you want to know how to stand firm? You join others following His example. You take note of those living according to the pattern. You fight living as an enemy of the cross. You go through these things and understand that your citizenship is in heaven. Would you guys stand with me?